There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I'm in the studio with Fabian. We are now starting the recording of the War on Cancer Season 2 podcast. Yes, it feels awesome to be back in the game. And uh, I'm so excited about the upcoming season. We have so many good guests. We do indeed. And we also have a new studio. So hopefully better sound quality. Let's hope. uh, But as, as always, please feedback if something's off. We're always trying to improve. Let's get straight into the first episode. So we're recording this in the month of November. So we're going to focus on male health, male cancer. We're going to focus on males because it's the month of November. So we're going to start off there. Yes. And uh, as our first guest for uh, for the season, we have Martin Inderbitsen coming here. Yeah. And who is Martin? He is a pancreatic cancer survivor and also a neuroscientist. That is great stuff. Let's get down to business. Let's get down to it. Basically, how we're going to start is just that we say, welcome, Martin. Mm, Welcome. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks so much for um, being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited about today. So, I mean, first of all, we know a bit because we have spoken before, but can you let let our listeners know who Martin Inderbitsen is? Yes, sure. I'm a 40-year-old Swiss guy living in Zurich and um, dedicating my life to helping other patients, but not only patients, people going through a struggle to change their mindset. Very nice. And you've also, I mean, you have a very, you have an extensive experience of going through cancer as well. So, I mean, you you pretty much tick all of the boxes mm-hmm. <laughs> for being on this show mm-hmm. because you have so much relevant experience. Mm-hmm. Can you let us know your life up until now? 
what has happened? So my cancer journey, if we focus on that, started eight years ago. Yes, it's already eight years. Back then I was living in Barcelona. I just finished my PhD on, on, on neuroscience. Uh, luckily or ironically, I have to say, on the topic of stress and emotions. So I, I knew everything, how the brain processes stress and emotions, and then I got hit by the cancer diagnosis and I, I was completely floored. So, so my, my diagnosis is pancreatic cancer. It's um, a pretty tough one. And it was, I think for me, the first moment I realized that you can, you can know a lot, you can know all the theory, but it doesn't help you. Like, like knowledge is really overrated. I mean, I had a PhD on the topic, but I couldn't pick up the phone and I don't know, call a friend. So that was like eight years ago. Yeah. And when you say pretty tough one, I mean, pancreatic cancer is one, it's like a badass cancer. What are the prognosis nowadays for, for if you're okay to talk about it? Sure. No. And when I Googled it eight years ago, it was like the survival rate for the first three years were 5%. So, uh, it's really like, um, it's it's really really bad because um, there are not a lot of good systemic treatments like chemotherapy or so. So, if you're not able to cut it out and get rid of it, you're you're probably done. And so, obviously, reading on the internet like, okay, I'm 32 years old and I have now probably three years and then I'm gone. It was, it was pretty surreal. I mean, every cancer diagnosis is surreal. It's not about comparison, but. Yes, it's, it's a pretty tough one. How did that make you feel? Totally overwhelmed. <clears throat> I was shocked. I was crying. I was depressed. It's somebody like was just taking away the floor under my feet. It felt like uh, being in the wrong movie. Yeah. I don't know how it was for you, but it's like, no, this is, this is like the wrong movie. I, I didn't buy a ticket for this one. <laughs> like, yes. It's funny. I was, I, when I thought that I was going to die, because that's what I thought as well when I heard mm. blood cancer, before I was told that I actually had about 60 to 70% chance of surviving according to the clinical trial mm -hmm. I was put on, I was also certain, yeah, I was gonna mm -hmm. die. And for me, it came as a relief. Mm. Uh, or I felt a sense of harmony mm. and the form of uh, peacefulness in the form of, I think there was something within myself that said for the first time in your life, you don't have to like push forward anymore. Um, but I've, of course, come to the realization that I was living the wrong life mm. uh, before I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. I can very much relate to what you're saying. It sounds really strange, but because since then I had many relapses and I had many like fallbacks and, and diving into, into not so comfortable emotions. And, and I can relate to what you're saying of also, it's, it's a kind of a relief or it, it gives you a kind of a free ticket to really do what you want to do. You don't have to justify anything. You can just yeah. just say, okay, this is now the time I have. So what the heck I'm going to do and then just do it. So it also has in a, in a strange way an uplifting momentum. Kind of. It's, it's almost like the weight of satiety is lifted off you. And I guess the, the, this idea that I think, I guess, many, many men uh, have uh, on themselves this this expectation of being able to deliver success mm. at any costs. Mm. Uh, maybe that's that belief has something to do with that. Mm, that's what interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I believe we men we we always think we have to be strong. 
Like that was also my first reaction. Like, okay, I'm strong. I'm gonna beat that. I'm, I'm gonna be a survivor. This classic like hero's journey, uh, dramaturgy, like signing up for a triathlon and showing the world how how fit I am. You know, like the classic yeah. male <clears throat> approach. And it took me years to to understand that yes, we we men we think it's very strong to to show strengths, but I think it's actually even stronger if you show weakness like it, it, it needs more more courage to go on stage and say hey look i'm depressed i cannot handle it it, it needs much more than go on on a stage and, and say look how good i am i i run a marathon or whatever yeah so yeah. But you so you signed up for a triathlon when you were diagnosed with cancer yes it's it, quite intense that's quite manly of you it was <laughs> it was actually um how you say it was a reaction to kind of kind of out of a bit of anger or disappointment because one guy in the hospital was just annoying everybody and talking about dying and I was like no I don't want that and it was like a counter like I'm gonna show that I'm not part of this dying melody and um, it is funny because when I signed up it didn't felt big or it didn't it just felt like what I was going through was big and that felt like a real burden. So a triathlon didn't felt like a big burden. Uh, yes, it, it was more like if I if I make it, then then this will be fun. I don't know. Yeah, but but, but also, I mean, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into your uh, PhD in neuroscience. You're an expert on emotions and on stress. Mm -hmm. And even so, you said that it was hard for you to, I mean, I totally understand getting a three four five percent chance of surviving uh would be heartbreaking for anyone but like how did you how did you juggle those two sort of your expertise from your phd and the way you felt from your diagnosis and from what you heard from the doctors i i think what i what i learned or what i what i realized is that you can understand stress and emotions on a theoretical level, on, on a report, on your paper, on a, on a PowerPoint presentation, and you know all the, the mechanisms and chain reactions that go on in the brain and in the body. But it's a complete different thing to experience that like physically in the body. And in a, when you do a PhD, you, you work mainly theoretically. You don't have physical exercises of, let's say, meditation or other exercises that help can help you to reduce your stress so it's it's not that it's not useful to know about it but you have to find a way to translate the knowledge into into practice it's it's a complete other pair of shoes and this is also what fascinated me that that like seeing okay um this is uh, the theory but what are you going to do with it? And it took me a long time to find my own like way to, to handle that and and find what, what I needed in, in this moment. Yeah, so, so, so what happened? I mean, can you take us through the first couple of years where you had a very low chance of surviving, just to be honest? Yes. How did you How did you tackle that? So the beginning, I was really naive. I think like every cancer patient, first you're shocked, you're like in, 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 a, in, a, in a pain, you are depressed. And then very quickly I switched on and say, okay, I'm going to beat that. I'm going to survive. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be the man, you know. So I signed up for a triathlon after that in the same year for another two triathlons. You know, no, nobody could stop me. And, and we managed to, to cut out the cancer. So my first scan result was clean. 
I was like, I was the survivor, you know, I was the guy who won. And then after one and a half year, my cancer came back. And that was the much bigger shock than the first diagnosis. Why? Because I saw that I did everything right, you know. I, I did all the, the lifestyle change. I did a lot of sport. I lived very healthy. I, I did all my homework. And still, this thing is still here. So it was the moment that I got really depressed. Like I, I was not useful for many months, just like being completely mellow and, and couldn't lift up myself because it showed me maybe this thing is bigger than me. Like you said before, Fabian, like it, it, you ask yourself, okay, is this the end? And, and so this was much harder than the first time I, I got hit by a diagnosis. And so what I did, I, I always approached my, um, my situation in a, in a proactive way. Like I, I let myself the time. It's not that I, I think positive psychology is the way to go, that everything has to be always positive and happy. I think you need a time to cry and to let the emotions out, but then also work on it like work with professionals on it, like go to psychology uh, support because you cannot share your emotions with your family and your loved ones. It's, it's too much for them. They have their own story. You, you need a safe space to do that. So since, since eight years, I, I go into psychological support because me and my, my psychologist, or I call her my coach, you know, like we can really work on my mindset in a much more profound way than I could do with somebody at home. And so uh, you had a psychologist before coming into cancer that you just kept running with or no. or you picked up a new one? Yes. I I went through the whole treatment, all surgery, radiation, chemo without any support. And then when everything was finished, um, I hit like a personal crisis. And then I, I, I just lost it. And I picked up the phone and said, OK, I have to go and talk to somebody. And I remember very well, I walked in there the first time. And I hope she's going to fix me, you know, she's going to tell me what to do. And then she only asked questions and I'm like, what the heck is that? Like, <laughs> I was really disappointed. And then I walked out and I just told myself, okay, give it one more try and then decide if you want to stop. And since then I, I never stopped. Yeah, I have to ask you, Martin. So when you said that you picked up the phone and called a psychologist, did you do that on your own or... Did you get sort of, were you pushed by your network of family and supporters and friends to do that? No. Or did you realize like, this is the time I need to get professional help? Yes. I, <clears throat> I somehow realized I need professional help. And I, I didn't think too much about it. I think that was a good thing. I think if I would have given it too much thought, I probably wouldn't have picked up the phone. I just uh, called the local cancer league here in, in Switzerland, in Zurich, because they have a support line and say, hey, I need somebody. And then they organized it. So it was pretty clear to me. And, and I think the good thing is I was not thinking too much about it, if I should be ashamed uh, to do that or that I, you know, that I cannot handle it. I, I just realized that I need, I need help. But I think the reason why, I mean, because I, I never came to that conclusion, even though I was depressed during uh, periods of my cancer treatments. Uh, I took to physical exercise and I had sort of the, the, the blog that I was sharing and, and those type of elements, but it never really dawned on me that I could actually go and see a therapist. And I, 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 I just wasn't sort of mature enough, I think, or well educated enough to understand the potential and power in, in having a good therapist. But would you say that it is because of your knowledge that you, 
you just figured out like I'm I need therapy right now or I think it also had to do that I <clears throat> I realized that my my environment like my friends and my family they were very supportive but sometimes in the conversation I could also feel that they struggled themselves so I realized they could not provide me the safe space that I needed like with my parents, with my loved ones, with my friends. I could see it in when I talked to them in their face that they were shocked and they were struggling. And so I think it had more to do with this observation than with my studies that, that I, I said, okay, I just want somebody that is strong enough that I can just share all my emotions and all my fear and doesn't start to cry because that is not helping you. You need somebody that can hold that space. And this is, this is something that we're always talking about the difference between sympathy and showing empathy, uh, which is really hard for a family, friend, or loved one to show. I remember when Fabian was diagnosed, I really, I had no idea how to handle it. Mm -hmm. I just basically felt super sorry for him. And I felt sorry for myself for many reasons as well, because I had to go through this, which resulted in me not being of any support at all, because I just asked... Fabian, how he was doing, and regardless of what he answered, I felt like I didn't get what I needed. Yeah. It's um, fun funny how the how are you becomes toxic. Uh, for it's, it's so weird. I mean, I'm sure you can relate, mm -hmm. Martin, mm -hmm. with, with this endless question, how are you doing? Because it's phrased in a way, or it's said in a way, that you can just sense the sympathy and the pity there, which then makes it a, a negative question to get, when it is, in essence, a positive question. It is a positive question, but I think what's also toxic about the question is that the person who is asking it is fearing the answer. Yes. Yeah. Because what if I say, look, I'm not good, my loss scan result is really shitty, and maybe there is no option, so how are you going to handle that? And the person is is fearing that because you have to be very stable to to... To take that in you know if, if somebody you love is telling you that it's, it's super hard and so you fear that answer as as i'm being a close friend to fabian and have been through this i think oh, there, there's also a fear of not being able to help yeah. there's a fear of not being able to have any sort of control over the situation and just being blunt about that which is something fabian and myself discussed after reading his blog i just understood mm -hmm. this is still fabian Let's just mm. continue as mm -hmm. we were. And that's how we became close again. But this is obviously a big problem when it comes to being able to share your feelings and your emotions as well. So how was there sort of certain steps or how was sharing your emotions to family and friends? Did that evolve or develop over time or how did you feel going through this? Uh, definitely. And I very quickly realized with whom I can share what. You know, like I became selective because with some people I realized if I share too much of my emotions, it will mirror back on me in a negative way because it makes the other side so emotional. So I became very selective with, with whom I share, how much and how deep my emotions. And then on the other side, I decided like you, Fabian, and I think that's that's something I can really recommend is to, I started to write a blog and not because... I w this blog was not public in the beginning. This blog was only through a link, so I didn't have to update all my, my friends and families. And there I could really share my emotions because the other person could read it and take his or her time to process it. It, it didn't have to reflect on me in the first step. 
And that, that really helped the technique, I think. It's liberating in, um, I, of course, fully understand what you're talking about. And this provided sort of like the basis for the foundation for the Warren Cancer app as well, mm. journaling as a coping mechanism when it comes to going through cancer. Totally. I think once you write out all your emotions, they're certainly not so scary anymore. <laughs> yeah, but is there a way now sort of moving into the topic of, of yeah. storytelling or sharing? Yeah. Can you share whatever you want to share in, in mm -hmm. whichever way you want to share it? Or are there sort of certain tips and tricks and sort of techniques you need to think about when sharing? Well, the, the first question I would ask is like, who are you sharing for? Yeah. I mean, the first audience is yourself. So if you write it out and, and you write it for yourself because you want to share it and maybe make it visible to yourself what you have inside, I would just recommend just write as fast as possible without thinking and without censorship and without judgment and no shame and just let it out and just stay curious what comes and whatever comes you can say ah interesting and then it's on the paper and it's not inside of you anymore now if you share that raw text with somebody maybe it's a bit like tough you know like maybe there are things in that that makes the, the other side really emotional so if you share with an intention to share it to an audience to maybe also help somebody else. You have to consider the audience, I think, like, okay, maybe what could that elicit in the other side? Yeah. So that is something I learned, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, it's good that we really sort of divide because I was saying sharing, but I was really talking about journaling, like, yeah. like writing down your experiences because sharing taps into another coping mechanism, which is I shared because I felt that I was helping others. Yeah. So in a way, I, it became a combination of the two. So you, share, you write for yourself and then you share in order to actually reach out and help others but what what i found a bit difficult was gradually as my blog grew i became more fond of making sure i shared mm. in a way that was helping others mm -hmm. and i was less focused on writing my ultimate sort of like my my raw truth so it became more of a story yeah. that i was telling to others yeah and um, would you say that you can relate to that yes definitely like i, it, I think it's very it needs a lot of of discipline and also somehow self-confidence to, to, to just like stay with, with like what you really really want to share and not always think too much about like okay this is maybe somebody taking it in the wrong way or and um, maybe sometimes you also journal like thoughts and emotions that are just too private i, I like to differentiate between personal and private you know i think there are certain aspects of your journey that maybe are just for you but that's fine and you still can share in a personal way but maybe there are some aspects of your story that you just want to keep for yourself and i yeah. think that's fine too to ask you martin about the quote on your website life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass it's about learning to dance in the rain is that a quote by you i think i picked it up on a picture in a kitchen of a friend in mine in barcelona I had like a little frame of that quote standing there i made a photo of it and i just liked it so much but it, it was not written who, who said it so i just made a picture of it and, yeah and still up today i i, I can identify a lot 
with it because I would call it uh, not a power, I would call it a freedom in, in choosing like how you relate to things. Like we all know, I mean, both you and, and I, that there are things in life that you just cannot control, like the storm. Storm is just coming. The storm is like we see it now and on a bigger level, there is always a storm. But what you always can choose is like, how, how do you relate to that storm? Which doesn't mean that you're not getting wet. Of course you're getting wet. <laughs> like you cannot stop the rain. But, and I found, I don't know how it was for you, Fabian, but for me, this, this is like so like liberating that cancer cannot take away from me this decision. Like cancer can take away my body. It can, it can destroy my relationships or my, my professional life or whatever. It can like invade a lot of my, my life. Um, but it cannot take away my decision how I relate to it. And, and I found that very liberating. I, I did so as well. I think we have different, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it and I, I definitely can, I understand what you're talking about. The, the cancer thing for me, it's not really, it is a storm, but it's something more altogether deeper for, my, for me because it helped me take control of my life. So it's more than a storm for me. It became sort of like the foundation for, for the rest of my life, this horrible experience, mm. which is to go through cancer and everything that comes with it from a physical point of view and also on a mental health point of view. Mm. I look back at it all and I think of it as, yes, a storm, but the most profound and wonderful storm that ever happened to me because thanks to it, I found the meaning that I was so much lacking before mm. I was diagnosed. Mm. And I think this is, I mean, this is super interesting. And I also think very important to realize that everybody has different starting points, right? Mm. Being diagnosed doesn't necessarily mean the same thing for two different individuals. Mm. Because in Fabian, in your case, it put you on the right direction Yeah. in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for you, Martin, it feels like it did something else. Mm -hmm. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What did it do to you? What would you say? Can you summarize your cancer experience and what it's meant uh, for you? I think it, it really showed me what's important, what's not important. Uh, it showed me what I want to do and what not, because I mean, suddenly you get a complete different perception of time. If, you're, if you read, you have three years and then you live on a three months basis, like from control scan to control scan, you, you're really like, change your perception of, of like 
time and how long you're gonna live you know you 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 much more i became more radical in in a positive way to to decide how i i dedicate my time and with who and in the end it's it's similar to what you said i mean i would not do what i do today without this diagnosis so when i was when i was standing on on this red circle on on this TEDx stage i i felt like all what I did so far in my life, like my neuroscience background, my love for storytelling and documentary film and, and my cancer journey, that came these three parts that came all together on this dot and agglomerated something new that would not have been possible without this diagnosis. So in, in this sense, and I think many patients have that, that you, you finally realize what you really want to do in your life, which I think is so beautiful. It is beautiful indeed. I, I have a question for both of you. Because you're both, you both have been and are very vocal about your cancer journey, how that has affected you. Uh, you're both doing some, something very concrete in order to help other people. But in general, when you hear about people going through cancer, when you hear about um, stories about people going through cancer, they are generally about women. So first of all, do you think there's a discrepancy about how many stories we we see about cancer and men compared to cancer and women? If so, why do you think that is? Hmm. Um, if I if I start, I think yes, there is a discrepancy. You see that also not only between men and women, you see it also type of cancer. Like when you look at the numbers of how, how common different type of cancers and you will have a hard time to find stories about anal cancer. You know, yes. there is a shame yeah. around it. You you will find a lot of lot stories from kids leukemia because the parents are very active, much more than the the actual number is how many cases there are. So yes, there there is a discrepancy, and I think it has to do that we men we not comfortable. I mean, this is a generalization, but but I think there is a truth in it that that we we struggle more to talk about emotions, and we struggle more. To, to share that you 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 see that also in support groups there are more women than men that we have another way to maybe we hold it back we think it's weak I don't know and I think that's reflected that that we have we have less less stories from from men than than women I don't know what what's your take Fabian but I th I think that would be one one reason definitely I'm, and I'm definitely not claiming to be an expert on this uh, more than that the fact that I am a man. Uh, by gender identity, uh, so I I can't see throughout my upbringing. I'm sure you can, you guys can relate as well. Like any forums for sharing your feelings throughout, like when like it it is it is only becoming more. At least for me, and because we're friends, for us, I guess it's only becoming more common. And now that we have sort of grown up slightly and become more adults to to even express things such as you know i'm having a rough time right now or yeah. i'm not you know i'm i'm not feeling well or i think my even now it is uncommon like you can see say things like i think my job sucks hmm. or or stuff but you would never it is still to this day uncommon to say i don't feel good right now it is so mm -hmm. uncommon to talk in these ways and because we have no outlets as men, no outlet whatsoever. I've never played sports when we grow up. I think, I mean, it has, we, we grew up with, I don't know, Rambo and, and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, this was like the man picture of like, you have to be strong and, or whatever, you know, and 
And I think also then the beginning of social media, everything was about happy and uh, holiday photos and how good you are. And I, I think slowly there is a movement of of showing vulnerability also from a man's side, but it's it's very, very slow, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, yeah, and I think uh, what we talked about, what, what you mentioned, there are no channels. I mean, the only channel you need is open your mouth and say how you're feeling. I yeah. mean, that's the only thing you need to do. So, I mean, should we focus more on, I think what we're doing now might be a good way of mm-hmm. showcasing to other people that it's okay to talk about emotions. Mm. It's okay to show vulnerability. I mm. think that's the first step. Mm. But maybe also, maybe men need other ways to share their emotions. Or, I mean, should we, maybe it isn't the right setting for men to just sit down and express. Maybe it is, but maybe it is not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to sit down and just talk with other men about how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I met a, when I was in Peru traveling over the New Year's, I, I met a person that runs um, this, uh, he lives in Australia and he runs this uh, group or this company, I guess, called Gathering Men, mm-hmm. where they gather uh, groups of men over weekends uh, where they share their emotions and share their experiences. But a part of that is they also um, invite the native Australian um, indigenous people to join them during this weekends. And they have these war dances, like warrior dances and these type of things. And in, in a way to let men really through these emotions and then these movements, physical movements, they let men channel channel their emotions, mm-hmm. uh, which I found. I, I'd love to go there. It's just on the other side of the world, so I don't have time to travel there right now. But I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe that's something we need to dive m- much deeper into as well. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, and and I think it's it's very nice if there are different outlets or different forms where men can express their emotions in their own way, not in in a way that is like guided from society or or like let's say how women are are used to do it Um, I think what also could help and I observed it again again in my talks is uh, for men it could it could be helpful to understand like that emotions are the most normal things that there is in the brain and in the system like fear is is the like without fear we would not sitting here and having this conversation because our ancestors were very fearful species you know like they had to watch out all the time like they were running through the jungle and and in any kind of moment they had to be very attentive to not get eaten so it, it's really the most normal thing that you experience fear but the same with, with depression or like feeling depressed. It's like, it's not that you're a weak man. It's like there are some wiring in your brain that just are responsible that you are getting mellow or you're getting out of energy if you're facing a dramatic situation. So like showing man this also scientific um, patterns and, and mechanism can really normalize the conversation around emotions. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting, showing fear. That's yeah. one, of, one of the most manly things out there is to never show fear. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. you said, one of the most normal human things to do is to be fearful because we want to survive, right? Yes. It's Darwinism, which men love to talk about. Yes. So survival <laughs> of the fittest. So it's showing fear is actually a strong emotions. 
emotion because it's a survival instinct yes it's one of the most basic ones it's also the wiring is like really really like deep inside the, the subcortical part like it's not a complex emotion let's say like pride or feeling jealous it's, it's like really a basic emotions fear and and without fear we will not we will not be able to survive so like you can embrace that you can you can say ah interesting now i feel fear so this normal thing you know and then not not feeling ashamed of, of it like everybody has fear everybody <laughs> but, but but then again if we say that fear is something good so even if we said that do you, do, i mean the reason why a lot of men are not feeling that they're able to share their emotions is because is it because of fear of feeling shame or guilt or is it something else i mean could we try to define what's the what's the core reason for men not feeling comfortable or is it that they're not feeling comfortable? This is where I want to sort of come to find something out. Well, I, I think as as all the people are very different, it's 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 probably also a lot of different reasons why men don't like to show fear. Or, but something I can relate very much to, or what I observed in my own behavior or, or responses, is that I have fear of showing weakness. I don't like to be weak or vulnerable. Yes, it's just something. It's something that goes against my wiring or I had to learn to, to embrace that, that it's also okay that I am weak from time to time, you know? And, and, and I think that fear from weakness could be like one reason that we just pretend that all is fine, but actually it's not. <laughs> so yeah. that's very dangerous, I think. I think we're all inevitably in life traveling or or sort of like we are we have our outer life journey and we have our inner life journey and uh, uh, depending on how interested you are you can accelerate the inner inner life journey uh, through various techniques such as meditation and sort of different aspects or attempts to rewire your brain and which will cover and, and something that I've I've started meditating a lot as of late. I have uh, I, I took a course in transcendental meditation, and then I do it on a regular basis, twenty minutes in mornings and twenty minutes each afternoon. And it's really it's led me to I think for the first time even get in touch with my emotions um, because I, I realized that every time I felt something up until now. I've just shut it away or I've I've masked the emotion with an action. So I've not been able to identify with it. Uh, so what I'm now learning to do is to really sit with emotions. Uh, whenever, whenever I experience things such as sadness, um, frustration, anger, uh, and also sort of positive things like excitement you know uh this thrill i i try and really sit with them and just l let them be so mm, so so you learned with the meditation like uh, a technique or a sensitivity to actually understand what emotions you have and pay attention to them yeah and uh, and now for the first time i think in my life i whenever i feel if i feel sad uh, which I've uh, learned that I do on a sort of every now and then on sort of like a monthly basis. I have like a day or two when I just go down and I just don't feel that happy and excited anymore or, or sad. I just sit with it hmm. and I just let that feeling be 
for and then it's interesting what happens no exactly it just goes away uh, well it just it just it stays there and it's almost like i have a whole nother approach to sadness now it's just part i just look at it as a natural part of life and and it's not as terrible as i guess i thought about it in the first place where in the back in the days i would just whenever i felt sad i would just hide or mask that feeling with an action such as alcohol or work or something else yes or sport or sex or whatever it is that you just try to distract yourself and um, make sure you don't have to to sit in the emotion because it's it's uncomfortable it's uh, uncomfortable to observe and just like let it be like like let it pass but i agree that techniques like meditation can can really help to to school to to learn this sensitivity to observe your own emotions yeah i think it's a good first step but you're usually quite good at that seb i mean this is something that you inspired me with is that you always say you know sometimes you just gotta sit with sometimes you're not going to be happy or like you're going to have some like a couple a, a moment or a period or a few days of just being like sad or generally a bit down and that's totally fine yeah, i think I've, that I've, is always, I've always been under my understanding of happiness is that you can't always be happy it's a good thing to be unhappy as well and unhappy can be so many different things but you should what i think and what i've thought for some years is that you sh you can sort of you can nurture the time which is not an easy time because that will help you feel more joy and be more happy in the times when you're able to feel those feelings and i have no idea if that's how it is <laughs> but that's how i view it at least yeah it's it's kind of a buddhist approach no <laughs> like it's not only about being happy all the times but like accept what is yeah. and just be comfortable with that neuroscience emotion stress cancer what can you share so what i would add to that list is a story and that i think it's very close to what you do with your work in war on cancer i my whole <clears throat> work is around the idea that the brain is actually a storytelling machine like your brain when we talk about higher level cognitive processing is, is just making up stories like you see stuff you integrate them you have memories and all together you, you cook the soup of, of a story and the interesting thing is like depending on on what story you tell yourself and, and the cancer diagnosis in a way is also a story you get the diagnosis you see the statistics you, you freak out and then you build up a story and based on that story you're going to feel in a certain way you're going to feel stressed or you're going to feel calm because your doctor said no worries you have 100 percent chance to survive you know depending on the story you get you feel completely emotional different and now the the interesting point is that that you can play with this story like once you understand that that your brain is actually telling stories and and that the stories are not fixed that you can learn to to shift focus you can you can learn to ask yourself okay is this aspect of the story really, really helping me or is it dragging me down and so mindset or what i like to call it like mindsetting because that's what i do is is an action you know mindset is the result mindset you have a, a mindset that focuses on the negative or on, on the, you have a certain kind of belief system stored so that's the result that's your mindset but the mindsetting that is like what you do 
like that's like the on a daily. action yeah that's the action that's like consciously planting a seed and say okay i want to pay more attention to gratefulness you know that i'm grateful or i want to i want to like in this whole situation i want to pay more attention what are actually my options what can i do like what do i need like what would help me now rather than being depressed that maybe in two months um you're going to have another scan and it really scares you bearing in mind we want to be able to provide real tips and tricks and techniques for the listeners so if I've, i'm someone that when i apply this as a cancer patient how do i begin so writing is a really good start and there are different type of writing exercises because writing does two things first of all it helps you to understand which is the story that you tell yourself at the moment like you just write it out and say ah oh, okay interesting this is the story i tell i tell myself and then what you can do is is you can like practically try to rewrite that story so for example you you can ask yourself anything that you struggle with and then you can write and okay why are you struggling with it what is so hard and you write and write and write you find all these arguments why it's so hard and you you can keep on playing this game you can say okay why like who is against you why is the environment against you and 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 so on and then after you've done that work you can take a new piece of paper and then you do an interesting thing you just you just transform the meaning of what you just write by 180 degrees so it's more a creative exercise than it has nothing to do with realism so if if you if you say look i'm scared of my cancer yes that's a fair emotion so a reversal would be i learn to live with my emotions or i learn to cope with my emotions or you or or you wrote down okay why is it so tricky say okay i don't have time then a reversal would would be okay I make up some time because it's important to me. So, so you, 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 you don't think if this is actually what you come up naturally. You just transform it yeah. as a creative writing process, and then you take a look at the two pieces of, of stories and you just let them sink in and, and you see how it feels yeah. Yeah. when you read one and the other. And you will be surprised that one story feels really good, and the other feels like, oh my god. This is like really heavy, and this is really something that I'm. This this I'm, I'm trying to understand and, and observe my internal dialogue uh, in my own work with myself. And I I'm now that I'm beginning to learn how to observe it. I am terrified, not terrified, but I'm shocked in how negative it is. There's so many there's so many negatives. I'm struggling with my back right now, and. I find myself thinking about it in in such negative ways. Instead of thinking, well, uh, I, I think, well, my back is hurting me, meaning it's because I haven't been good enough in exercising my lower back. Mm -hmm. And I just, instead of thinking, well, I'm in a healing process mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. or something. I mean, it's just sm small variations of the way you talk to yourself, mm -hmm. which I think can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think what it what is important to add here is that you are not a weak character you just have a very normal brain and your brain is optimized to see the negative yeah. why because back then when we were running through the jungle it was crucial to to observe every negative dangerous situation so you you really became a specialist in seeing negative stuff because if you miss a tiger in in the jungle it's it's really really bad bad idea but if you miss let's say a banana or something to eat it's not the end of the world so <laughs> so it's it's really like 
it, it was a selection process. So those who were really good at spotting the negative survived. And mm -hmm. I think this this bias to negativity is 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 just something that is is pre-wired in in us. Yeah. And and so even more, we have to we have to rewire it. We have to consciously like train it and. And like going to the gym, like I always say, the brain is like like a muscle. You have to go to the gym and train. And once you do that, you will be surprised how how quickly you can you can shift your mindset. And writing, you you would say so. The first tip is really to start write. You write what you think, and then you try rewrite it in a, in another more positive way. Yes. And then the second step is I think really has to do something with the body because you cannot think yourself resilient. You cannot just stay on the paper you have you have to, to work with the body so the, the main obstacle if if you want to to overcome a challenge is that overcoming a challenge doesn't feel nice okay so it, it this is just how it is and so you have to learn to to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable emotions you don't have to fight them you don't have to be ashamed of them you just have to be like you said before with meditation you you have to learn to sit in them and this is something that you you should try with your body because an emotion is is in the body. So, like what I do, I mean, I do different techniques, but something I I started to like a lot is is cold water. Yeah, and that's maybe something man can relate to because it has this manly aspect in it. So so I go swimming the whole year here in Switzerland, and and I love this this learning of of my system when I go into cold water. It's re it really hurts. It, it's uncomfortable, but then relaxing into it, I teach my system that I can be calm while, while I'm in the storm, while, while everything says, run out, it's really cold. And I think you can rewire your body like this, that you can transfer when you're sitting in front of your doctor's office waiting for the scan result. It's, it's a similar situation in your body and you can just relax into it or try at least yeah. to relax into it. It's never easy. <laughs> But I think the the second step would really be to to work with your body to to rewire your, yourself. And perhaps for someone going through cancer treatment, let's don't go out and jump into the river, but rather maybe take <laughs> no. a cold shower. Yeah, or dance <laughs> yes. dance in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or dance at home. That also is is fun for yourself. Like yeah. just let it out. Like. And uh, okay, so we have two good advice here. Yes. Awesome. So write it and then work with the body and then i think the third thing i would add is just uh like repeat 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 and and once you repeat you have to understand how the brain builds new synapses so this process is called positive reinforcement so when you learn to ride a bike as a kid your parents say hey well done applause you know and and this is what your brain learns like okay this is good i should do more of that so once you do a small step, once once you you make a little bit forward progress, you should give yourself a compliment. And I'm I'm always saying, okay, clap on your clap on your shoulder, like like tell yourself, hey, well done, this was good. Like tell your brain that this was good, so so it learns to to try to repeat that and and builds new connections. So that's that would be the third advice I could give. I want to go back to the quote that you have on your website uh, once again. Uh, where it says in the beginning, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It just feels like this is what many men try to do. Yeah, you wait it out. They shuggle up and then they just wait for the storm to pass. And yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you, Martin, since you're an expert in, in stress, uh, do you think this could lead to stress and even more 
sort of negative backlashes than actually being able to dance in the rain or sort of meeting um, meeting your inner demons or stepping out of your box. Definitely, it's the worst tactic ever because just because you put on a smile doesn't mean that your cortisol goes down, you know? You still will sleep bad, you will probably take your your sleeping pill or alcohol or whatever you need to relax and hide it from everybody and, and you just build internally all this, these negative effects on your body. So just by waiting and, I mean, the question is, if, if you wait in a meditative state and in a relaxed state and say, I don't, this doesn't touch me, then, then it, this is another story. Yeah. But if you, if you realize, hey, I cannot hold it, but I don't tell anybody, it's a really, really bad idea because <laughs> you will pay the bill at the end, you know. You, you think for the moment this is very smart, but on the long term, it's, it's really, really hard and, and you will feel it in your heart and in your body. Yeah. yeah. Which is why men are big drinkers. Probably. I guess it's, it's uh, just one way to kind of... It numbs. Yeah, compensate for not actually expressing what we feel. Yeah. We haven't asked you, how are you feeling today? Yeah, what's the status? I'm feeling... Um, I don't know if I would say the word good. I think I feel centered. So the status is, is, um, is not very good and not very bad. It's, I would say, something in between. Like my cancer became kind of chronic. So just <clears throat> six weeks ago, I had another control scan that looked really, really bad. Like suddenly there was popping up a lot of new stuff in the liver. It always comes back in the liver in my case. And it was, it was a moment where we first thought, okay, we cannot have any surgery anymore. So I had this really, really shocking moment of like, okay, that is this maybe now. So that's, that's the end. So for, for a week, I was completely in a, in a delirium. And now it, it seems like we can have surgery and, and it seems like we, we have options, which of course relaxes the whole situation. But yeah. I, I don't want to sit here and say, hey, I'm great and doing fine. It, it is hard. Yeah. It is really hard to, to go through this and to like every time you stand up, somebody hits you on the head and, and you're like down again. And, and it's, it's also energy draining. Yeah. So I make sure I, I, I take my time. I set my focus, like the morning is dedicated to my healing and then I start working at 11. And uh, I'm, a, I'm an early bird, so I wake up very early at five or so. And the first six hours are just for myself. And, and this works very well. Like some people say it's radical, but I think, um, you know, if I die, it's also radical. <laughs> so yeah. you have to set priorities. And so it's what you said before, Fabian, it suddenly becomes very easy to, to make hard decisions because... Um, you're in a hard situation. So um, with that, Martin, we're going we're gonna to let you go. Uh, we know you're a busy guy. Uh, you have to move on. And, but I mean, we're super grateful for you really taking the time being on this show. Well, thank you so much. It was a, a huge, huge pleasure to be part of it. And I wish you also all the best to continue this. I mean, I love the work you do. And I really hope you can continue to do that. And contribute to the community so thank you so much for that thanks martin it's been a pleasure thank you good stuff thank you i'm really happy that martin took the time to share his journey and his story 
on our podcast. Such an amazing guy, uh, true inspiration. The way he talks about his experiences with such a calm uh, and maturity, it is yeah, it is really inspiring. Yeah, and his PhD in neuroscience, talking about stress and emotions, and all of that knowledge just goes right out the window when you get it when you get handed a diagnosis. Yeah, that's also. I mean, it's. I'm not going through cancer, but it's refreshing to hear because I, I don't think it's uh, easy to know how a, a news of a diagnosis will hit someone. Definitely not, and I think everybody reacts differently. But uh, I hope that you, you listeners got something out of this. I certainly did. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with Martin uh, in any way, you can find him on My Survival Story, uh, which is his own company. And Or you can contact him. We'll, we'll send out some, some details on his socials. Uh, in connection to the episode. Yeah, of course. And also one thing that really struck me, um, what we talked about, I mean, showing strength, because showing strength is most often referred to as a manly thing. Yeah. But being strong can also be about being vulnerable. Yeah. And that is something that I think it's so important for the men and also women out there. I mean, showing vulnerability is not weakness it's the opposite it's showing strength definitely it's sort of taking a step back from your ego and doing something for someone else as well nicely put so who are we up to uh, for next week next week we're gonna really really deep dive into nutrition one of our favorite one of your favorite topics it's my I mean it's super interesting but but uh, even so I mean we're having one of the most I think knowledgeable people on planet earth when it comes to not only nutrition, but nutrition and cancer. Yes. Dr. David Heber. So don't miss next episode. See you next week. Yes. Bye-bye.